In this episode of 2000 Books, Peter Brown explains the science of learning better, faster, and deeper. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Peter Brown is a former management consultant who has also authored and co-authored five different books. Today, we're talking about his outstanding book, Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning, which he co-authored with research scientists in the field of learning, memory, and cognitive psychology. Peter, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about how to learn better, faster, and deeper because learning is a value that's really core to my being. I really enjoy learning. I really think it's a very important part of who I am. So welcome to this episode. Hey, it's great to be here, Manny. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Um, First off, let's tell our listeners why should they read this book, listen to this book? Well, the book is Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning, published uh, by Harvard University Press. What the research behind the book shows is that most of us intuitively are going about learning in the wrong way. We're engaging in activities, for example, reading and rereading material, highlighting material, practicing our 20-foot putt over and over again, strategies that feel productive, but uh, in fact are labor in vain. Uh, what the recent cognitive uh, research shows is that uh, we don't learn by trying to get the knowledge into the brain. We learn and we make it stick by trying to get it out of the brain. So a person uh, who's still concerned with learning, which is most of us at any age, will be a, a lot more effective uh, if they read the book, Make It Stick, and understand the difference between what our intuition suggests we do and what the science shows is truly effective. Yeah, this is great because, I mean, on this podcast on here, we have lifelong learners. We have people who want to learn um, especially about entrepreneurship and business. And that's that's really important that they understand how to learn well. And uh, this is going to be great. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's, uh, let's dive into your personal story. What led you to writing this book with your co-authors? Well, I'll be uh, very quick on that. I wrote this book with two co-authors who are preeminent uh, cognitive psychologists in the field of memory and learning at Washington University in St. Louis, Henry Rodiger Jr. and Mark McDaniel. Rodiger, uh, for the last 36 years, has been my brother-in-law. I am not a scientist. I'm a writer. And I was between writing projects, talking about what I might do next. And I was chatting with Rodiger. He, go, he goes by Roddy. And he was saying, gee, you know, we're at the end of a 10-year project with a team of our colleagues at different universities doing research into teaching and studying techniques lead to better memory of the learned material. And the findings are really counterintuitive. And we'd like to get that out to a broad audience, a general audience, not just a scientific community. And out of that conversation, we formed this collaboration that I would uh, work with them, write the book, and try to do the, the job of explaining the science in an accessible way and then animating it through the true stories of people in different fields that have to master complex knowledge and skills and find anecdotes that illustrate what the underlying science tells us about how learning works. So the book is solidly grounded in a lot of empirical studies, and many of which in the last decade or so have opened up a new understanding of, of how learning works and exposed the fact that 
our intuition uh, is subject to illusions that come from familiarity and so forth. For example, when we reread a passage over and over and get familiar with the text, we think we're on top of it and then we'll remember it. When, so they start out doing research saying, well, people learn by reading and then uh, we use tests to measure whether they've mastered it. And very quickly they discovered that those who are quizzed on the material, learn and remember it far better than those who spend their time just rereading the material, that the act of retrieving it from memory has a way of interrupting, forgetting, and strengthening uh, the connection of the new material to what you know and can do. This generally gives you the arc uh, of the book, uh, that we are, as people, we are wired to forget and we are drawn to learning strategies that give us a feeling of progress when we make that 20-foot putt over and over, we see improvements. Mm -hmm. And we think when we leave the golf course that we're on top of our 20-foot putt. What we don't know is all those improvements lean on short-term memory. Science has shown us that it takes time for new learning to go from the part of the brain where, where memories are formed, the hippocampus, into other parts of the brain that store long-term memory. Uh, okay, so Peter, before we go into all these details, let me make sure we like uh, uh, break this up a little bit for our listeners. So let's first, uh, I think you did a great job of telling us how this book is laid out, like doing a 10,000 feet overview of the book. And uh, now we're getting into the nuts and bolts. We're getting into like the three most important ideas in the book. And I think why the reason why... I mean, I I am a big fan of making sure that things stick, that things like are learnable. And one of the ways I do it is to chunk that information. And one of the reasons why, and one of the ways we chunk that information in our interviews here is keeping it to three, right? And breaking those three down when we say, this is the first thing, this is the second thing, this is the third thing. And that way, people remember better. <laughs> um, that's one of our strategies for chunking. And so well, let's start with the first thing, the first most important idea you say, which is that the way we think about learning is wrong and there's a better way to doing it, right? So let's talk about that and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it as well. Sure. The single biggest idea in the book is that we tend to focus on trying to get new learning into the brain. And we do that through repetitive reading and, and practice, mass practice of things. But what we've learned in the research is that learning really happens when you uh, struggle to get new knowledge and skills out of the brain. It's not about getting it in. It's about getting it out, working to get learning out by retrieving it from memory, by connecting it to what you already know, explaining it to somebody else, those are the things that engage the mind to build the connections to that learning, to what you already know, and increase those uh, abilities, the cues for finding it again later. So that's, I think, idea number one. Yeah, so let's let's take a little uh, time to unfold this idea for our listeners because, you know, a lot of our listeners, these are entrepreneurs, these are business owners. You know, we read a book, you know, we highlight the book, and then we close the book and we move on to the next book. And we keep on accumulating this knowledge. So is that the most effective strategy? 
Well, in fact, you don't accumulate it because you haven't really embedded it in the mind. You accumulate a pile of, bo- of highlighted books, but you haven't really sorted out what are the three big ideas from that book that, and how do they relate to what I already know. Uh, so that notion of when you've read even just a passage uh, and putting it aside and asking, you know, you found that passage quite powerful. You ask yourself, well, what is it about it? that makes it powerful to you? How would you explain that? How might you apply that? Uh, So you go from getting it in, reading it, to working with it in your mind. And so that's a huge idea. One of the reasons this is important is because if I may explain the difference between short-term learning and long-term memory. I think we, can, we, we should totally do that. And I think that's, we're already going into the next big idea as to how learning really happens, right? Right. It happens when you first are exposed to a new skill or uh, knowledge. The facts of that are in the hippocampus of the brain. They call, the scientists call it memory traces, and they're fairly abstract. And the, the job of the mind then over uh, hours is to try to make sense of that information. Uh, the brain rehearses it. It uh, fills in gaps. It tries to determine what are the important ideas, what can I forget about. And over time, often overnight, the learning then moves into long-term storage, which is another part, other parts of the brain, and it's connected to what you already know. So it takes time for learning to get embedded in the brain. And the really interesting part is that when you initially are exposed to this material, the learning, if you will, the traces are fluid or, or sort of plastic. The brain shapes them in a way to try to make sense of them, make a narrative, if you will, and understand how it relates to what you know. And that uh, plasticity of knowledge turns out to be a tremendous asset for you in strengthening your knowledge down the road, uh, which we can talk about. It comes Mm -hmm. from effortful uh, practice. But the main idea here is it takes time for new learning to go into long-term memory, and you help that when you do some of this work consciously of understanding how it relates to other things and uh, wrestling with it in your mind. So in some ways, like the short-term it goes into your short-term memory, and then it goes into your long-term memory over a period of time. But you've got to wrestle with it. You've got to work with it. You've got to explain it to someone. You've got to take notes on it. You've got to uh, maybe even you know, try to put it in perspective with other ideas that you have. Maybe um, draw, draw something out. Maybe make an infographic. Maybe make a map of it or do something with it to, to allow it to hang with other contexts that you already have in the brain. Right. It's a, it's a funny thing, but we, uh, especially uh, those of us uh, in the teaching profession, think that uh, the more uh, clear and simple we can make new knowledge, the better it'll be learned and remembered. And as, as learners, when it's clear, we, we think, boy, that's, that's great. I get that. You know, I've got it now. And it's, in fact, the opposite is true, that when you have to struggle with it a little bit, if you hear a lecture that's very clear, but it goes in a different sequence than the text you read, and you have to think about how to reconcile those, in fact, that way of engaging with the material enables you to get it to stick. So uh, we have this illusion that simple and clear is a better way to learn when in fact some difficulties that make it a little more difficult uh, make it deeper and make it stick better. 
Right. And and I mean, so far, we've only covered two of the steps here in the sense you talked about how it goes into your short-term memory and then into your long-term memory. But I guess the most important component is what you were going to talk about next, right? Right. The central biggest idea that I took away from uh, writing this book is uh, that anything you want to have stick, you need to periodically recall from memory. And we know about mass practice, recalling something over and over again and practicing the putt over and over again. We think we get it. But it isn't that kind of retrieval. It's more letting some time lapse, spacing out your practice at retrieving something from memory so that when you try to call it up again later, you have to work at it a little bit. You're a little rusty. And what happens then when you recall it is that knowledge becomes plastic again and the brain goes through this consolidation process again and it makes the key ideas even more salient. It makes the connections to other knowledge even stronger. So this notion of spaced practice at retrieving knowledge from memory is a critical strategy for deepening that knowledge and updating it with things that you've subsequently learned since you were first exposed to that material. So spaced retrieval practice is a, is a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like it's an, uh, you, the more effort you have to put in to remember, to, to retrieve that idea, the more likely you will be to be able to remember it at a future time. Right, exactly. As, as, the harder it is, the better, as long as you're successful to do it. You don't have to relearn it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people want to know how long do I need to wait between uh, practice events, and it depends on uh, how difficult the, the material is going to be uh, to remember. If you're in a social setting and you're learning lots of people's names, you need to retrieve, in your mind at least, different people's names pretty quickly Uh and then over time, you can space that out and let longer periods uh, uh, go between uh, efforts at retrieving that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, that's really important. And uh, I want to talk about the next big idea, which kind of unfolds the whole idea of effortful uh, retrieval, right? The, the important components of effortful or different types of effortful retrievals that work. And I, I, it'd be great if you can talk about the baseball study that kind of exemplifies it, right? Right. So uh, typically when you're going to try to improve, let's say, a skill or you're, going to, you're, you're practicing learning your solid geometry, practicing uh, how you find the volume of a wedge and how to uh, find the volume of other solid geometric forms, you, you take one type of problem and you take that formula and you would apply it to many different examples. And in the case of baseball players, this was a study uh, done uh, at Cal Poly in California, I believe, uh, if I remember the place correctly. But it, the, the team, which was already very good at baseball, um, decided that they would go through a, a program to try to improve their batting. And uh, they agreed to be a part of a study in this process. So they were going to practice uh, three different kinds of uh, pitches, hitting three different kinds of pitches, a curveball, a fastball, and a changeup. Half of the players on the team practiced 15 fastballs. Then they would practice 15 curveballs, and then they would practice 15 change-ups. And this went over quite a number of weeks. And they got pretty good at, at each of those pitches, recognizing it and, and swinging at it successfully. The other half of the team knew they were going to get 45 pitches in all from those three different types, but they never knew 
which kind the next pitch was going to be. And during practice, while they showed some improvement, it, 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 was, it wasn't as dramatic as their friends uh, who were practicing in a, in a blocked fashion uh, where the types were clustered. And uh, they didn't feel too great about their performance. Then later, out uh, in the real world playing ball, those whose practice had been mixed uh, showed a far uh, higher uh, skill at identifying and successfully hitting those types of pitches than the others who knew which kind were coming. After the first changeup, they knew the next 14 were going to be changeups, and they would just keep uh, hitting a changeup. They did very well in practice, and they felt very affirmed by that. And uh, if they had to choose another way to practice in the future, they would have chosen to practice that same way. But they did not learn as well as the others who struggled uh, to uh, recognize each pitch when it came and respond to it properly. Mm -hmm. So the idea of mixing uh, problem types when you're practicing or when you're learning something is counterintuitive, but in many different forms of studies, uh, learning uh, how to recognize the works of painters, learning how to identify bird types, uh, across all different fields, um, this kind of mixed a practice has turned out to be uh, a much stronger uh, learning strategy than blocking uh, the problems by type and practicing them over and over that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is this is really important. I think distinction here. Uh, learning is not necessarily about you know our sense of uh, our sense or idea that we remember. Learning is really about being able to use that knowledge when you need it the most. And that's what's happening in the case of the baseball hitters. When they need it the most in live game, the people who are able to retrieve or who are doing more mixed practice, who are doing more effortful retrievals, turn out to be doing better than those who are not doing effortful retrievals. Right. I think a great example that we all understand is uh, the way we train pilots in jet simulators and the person running the simulator will throw an unexpected problem at the pilot. You've just lost an engine. You're just you're losing oxygen. You're not you're not getting fuel anymore. Whatever that issue is, the pilot has has to respond very quickly and know how to respond. And uh, the flight simulator where the problems, the practice of solving the problems comes at you randomly is well proven as an effective training tool. And we all understand why that's the case. We just don't happen to think of it in our everyday lives and the things that we go about learning ourselves. But that notion of random practice, one thing that's true when you switch from one problem to another, it has some of that effect of spacing out your retrieval because there's a space when you come back to the earlier problem you can't go to your short-term memory you've got to work again oh yes what kind of problem is this and what is the correct solution and apply it right and um i think the bigger lesson as we abstract ourselves from this thing as we abstract ourselves from from just the idea of uh, uh, making uh, you know, make or doing effortful retrieval. The, the the thing that effortful retrieval is really doing is making consolidation stronger. I mean, it causes, uh, in the sense it it causes our brain to go and reconsolidate those learnings to actually do more work with the learning that's there. Right. That's exactly right. The the effort involved uh, is what brings this learning back in to the part of the brain where it's fluid and the brain then is uh, 
reshaping that memory, updating that memory, saying, yes, well, these points are the most important points and these other points we can forget about because these are the points that really relate to this new situation I'm in where I'm recalling this and to what I've learned since. So it it gets reconsolidated and and the connections in long-term memory are are not only stronger, but when you practice in different settings and in different sequences – uh, you get associations between that learning and the other things that you know and are learning. So you build a more complex uh, embedding of that knowledge in the mind. The knowledge resides in many different places of the brain. And the more uh, places uh, it resides, the uh, more likely you are to find a cue to bring it up, to recall it, uh, to be able to apply it again later. And your application skills will be more versatile. You'll be better able to apply that knowledge in an unfamiliar setting because it relates in your mind to many different aspects of what you know and can do. Right. I think this is, uh, as, as I step back from this whole interview and the whole book and everything I've learned so far, learning is not about keeping stuff in the memory. Learning is about being able to get it out of our memory. And that's the really important distinction that I think a lot of people don't get. Right, and 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 one of the reasons we don't get it is because when it's hard to retrieve it from memory, we think that's a sign we're not getting it. But in fact, the effort that you're expending to retrieve it from memory is exactly what it takes to get it and to master it and to and to build depth and then to begin to build mental models to fit this knowledge in with other things that are related uh, that will come to the fore when you need them to. Right. And uh, I think as entrepreneurs, this is so important, so vital that we learn fast. We learn, we get used to learning fast and uh, adapting to the situations that come at our come our way and be able to use the knowledge when we need it rather than just let it go. Um, so, so let's talk about how to put this knowledge of, of all this learning into practice. How, like, give us some real actionable advice and because uh, you know as we say here 2000 books and it's funny that you are you know the learning expert and I'm talking to you here as I say it but I always emphasize in every one of my interviews there's no learning without action there's no learning without action so give us some action advice here Peter well one of the I talked earlier saying there's some kinds of difficulties that make learning uh, a little slower but much deeper. One of them is to try to solve a problem before you're taught how you search your mind uh, and when you're finally taught the solution, even if you've made mistakes trying to solve it yourself, you learn it better and you remember it better. So one thing you can do when you're picking up a book or an article is ask yourself what's the question I want to answer? Start with a question and read for the answer so that you're looking for uh, those gems uh, that you want to grab onto. Now, you might be surprised and learn something uh, that you weren't expecting. But this enables you, as you read, you've primed your brain for what you're going to encounter. And then when you've read it and you put it aside, you do something with it. That's the second thing. Start with a question, read for the answer. The second thing is to do something with the new knowledge when you get it. So you extract the key ideas. You put them in your own words. You explain uh, to yourself or to your spouse or friend or business colleague uh, in your new venture how they relate to what you're doing, how they relate to what you already know. Uh, this um, form of engagement with that knowledge uh, helps make it real, helps you possess it uh, and deepen your grasp of it. The third thing is um, to test yourself. 
And by that, I mean retrieve this again later uh, uh, from time to time. Anything you want to hang on to, you must periodically retrieve from memory. And in that retrieval, you will uh, strengthen your grip on the knowledge, you will update that knowledge, and you will uh, be in possession of the skill or the knowledge when you need it later. Got it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it um, really simple for, uh, for this audience here. If I want to make sure that our listeners remember and learn the discussion we've just had, what, what are the things they can do when they listen to this podcast? After they listen to this podcast, what are the things they should do to make sure that they learn the most from it and retrieve it the best? Turn off the podcast when you're done and ask yourself, uh, what are the three big ideas that I learned in listening to this? Mm-hmm. Practice retrieving that from memory. Explain it to somebody else. Spaced practice at retrieving new knowledge from memory or a new skill. Spaced practice. That's not doing it over and over again. It's doing it now once or twice and letting time go by and then doing it again later when it's a little difficult. That is the single biggest uh, uh, gem uh, from the research about how to embed new learning into the mind and be able to uh, pull it out and apply it again later effectively. And of course, apply it the first time around in the sense, do something with it, use do it. Do something with it, right. Yeah, use it or you know, do an exercise with it or answer a question with it or correlate it with something else. Right. Be, ch- be charming at your dinner party by, by explaining to somebody. And what, you know, I don't know how many times this happened to you, Manny, but it happened to me. And before I started working on this project, I'd be off somewhere and I'd see I'd, I read the best article in the paper today. It really made an impression on me. And then I think, well, I can't really tell you why that was. <laughs> I don't remember why that was. Right. Now I understand. After I've read it and put it aside, I say, okay, I want to tell my friend Manny about that later. <laughs> what was it, Peter, that really got you in that article? And I go through that. And then maybe later in the day I do it again. And then when I see you that evening, I can tell you. And, uh, and I, I, will, I will be in, in possession of that knowledge. That's great. And uh, as our listeners know, with every interview, they can find the three key ideas and an action guide uh, that has the action uh, action items from you on our website. So it's it's pretty awesome that you and I are on the same page with regards to learning, with regards to retrieval, and how this needs this needs to all come together. And a lot of those ideas actually I borrowed from your from your book. So uh, there we go. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think it's uh, great to see how this research is being welcomed. Uh, by people from all walks of life. Uh, any of your listeners that are interested in the book, it's called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. Uh, we have a website, makeitstick.net, but uh, you can find it easily on Amazon. It's available. Yeah, it's available everywhere, including Audible. That's where I learned it. I mean, that's where I read it. And if any of our listeners want to get a free copy of the book, they can go to 2000books.com slash free. It'll direct them to Audible where they can subscribe to an Audible subscription and get this book for free. Hey, all right. Who wouldn't want to do that? Right. (laughs) (laughs) There we go, Peter. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to teach us how to learn. Thank you very much, Manny. It's been a a privilege to be a member of your podcast. 
So my ambitious friends, I have a very important question for you. What is the single biggest indicator and predictor of success? Because in my reading of over 1000 books, I have found out that there is one common thread, one common indicator that ties all of the greatest success stories in this world. And this is a factor that has been emphasized again and again and again in the greatest books ever written on the topic of accomplishing our goals. The greatest thinkers and achievers have all said the same thing. From Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher 2,000 years ago, to the greatest UFC fighters of today. And from champion athletes like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan to big-time entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. So here at 2000 Books, we have created a 90-day course specifically on this topic, where we summarize 40 of the greatest books ever written on this topic. So reading these books, reading these 40 books can take you almost 250 plus hours. And if you read one hour every day, Monday through Friday, every week, this reading can take you an year. But what we have done is we have summarized the knowledge from these books into daily five to 10 minute bite-sized videos so that you can absorb a new idea or a couple of new ideas every single day and take action on them, take action on them and build them over time over a period of 90 days. So come check out this course at 2000books.com slash tough. That's T-O-U-G-H, tough, or text the word tough, T-O-U-G-H, to 44222 and get more information on this course. The course is now live and you can join at any time. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the course.